there. Well, we're going to look at today, and we're going to look at over this month, um, this whole topic of generosity. You know, God is an incredibly abundant God, just in who he is. Before he activates any of his resource, just in his nature, he's abundant. You know, the Bible says that his paths drip with abundance. And sometimes it can be hard for us to get our head around just the abundance that God wants, one, one, who God is, and two, the abundance in which God wants to bring through us, not so much for us, but that his glory would be personified here on the earth. And there is an abundance of resource in his kingdom that is available right there if we have faith to tap into it. If we have the, uh, the belief in him, you know, God says that you can speak to a mountain that can literally move. God says that you can take limited resource. He, he takes limited resource and he partners with us and he, he does incredible things with it. And there's this profound statement in Mark that says this, take care what you listen to. That's interesting, isn't it? What do you listen to and who do you listen to? Because there are multiple voices that will speak to you. There's voices speaking to you right now. I'm hoping the voice of God is speaking to you and not the voice of self or you know, the voice of what's on in an hour's time when you get home on TV or maybe your tummy's talking to you. I don't know. But there are multiple voices and it says here that take care what you listen to. Then it says this, by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So by the standard in which you measure things, it will be measured back to you. Interesting. And more will be given you besides. So what does that mean? It means, you know what, the measure in which I love others will be the measure that's given back to me. With the measure in which I invest into people's lives, it'll be the measure that's given back to me. By the measure in which I'm under the Lordship of Christ will determine a whole lot of factors in my life. By the measure in which I'm obedient to the Word of God will determine the favor and the fruit and the life abundance that's on my life. You see, the reality is many, many people actually want to have this life of abundance, but they actually, the measure they bring is tiny. They want to receive all the stuff, but what they bring is tiny and they expect God to move. And God sits there and goes, I want to move, I want to release. But I'm looking for something much more. I'm looking for this heart posture, this heart position, this spirit of generosity. Because I believe that generosity is a spirit way before it ever is an action. In fact, generosity is a spirit that gets outworked through an action. And he says, with the measure in which you bring will be the measure in which you receive. And so in a space like this, If we're going to come into God's house and expect to be touched by Him and moved by Him and experience His presence on our lives and experience breakthrough, and some of us might be struggling as we just with physical stuff or spiritual stuff or mental stuff, or we're just going through um, issues, or maybe it's someone else's issues, but we come and we come with a measure of expectancy which is pretty tiny. And so God wants to move and He wants to come, but as I said before, God will never violate your will. He'll never force himself upon you, but he wants to expose you and come into you and break through certain things. And so with the measure in which we come into this house and expect to see him move will be the measure in which we receive. 
And it's really important that we get our heads around this and change the way we think and start to activate by faith a spirit of generosity, which, as I've said, is something before it's ever an action, before it's ever a doing. It's who you are, not what you do or what you have. And we're going to look at how do you develop this spirit of generosity. And so right now I just want to show you, a. Uh, we're going to talk through just a, a clip um, if that's cool. And uh, we're going to have a look at a little story. So I'm going to read this out. A young lady was waiting for her flight in the boarding room of a big airport. And she would need to wait many hours. Anybody been there? It's going to mean many hours, especially if you fly Qantas. Um, she decided to buy a book to spend her time. She also bought a packet of cookies. She sat down in in an armchair in the VIP room of the airport to rest and read in peace. Beside the armchair where the packet of cookies lay, a man sat down in the next seat, opened his magazine and started reading. When she took out the first cookie, the man took one also. She felt irritated but said nothing. She just thought, what on earth? If I was in the mood, I would punch him for daring. For each cookie she took, the man took one too. This was infuriating her, but she didn't want to cause a scene. When only one cookie remained, she thought, ah, what what will this abusive man do now? Then the man, taking the last cookie, divided into half, giving her one half. Ah, that was just too much. She was much too angry now. In a huff, she took her book, her things, and stormed to the boarding place. When she sat down in her seat inside the plane, she looked into her purse to take her eyeglasses and to her surprise, her packet of cookies was there, untouched, unopened. She felt so ashamed, she realised that she was wrong. She had forgotten that her cookies were kept in her purse. The man had divided his cookies with her without feeling angered or bitter. I think there might be one more. While she had been very angry thinking that she was dividing her cookies with him and now there was no chance to explain herself nor to apologise. Thanks guys, that's awesome. Thanks Heino. See one person's operating aren't they in the spirit of generosity. Even when someone else cuts across, even when someone else cuts off, even when someone else decides to maybe take advantage of the spirit of generosity, this man still doesn't say anything. He just releases the spirit into the atmosphere. You know when you release a spirit of generosity into the atmosphere, into people's lives, things can change. Things can happen. Things can actually get broken off of people because when people release the spirit, it creates moments. It creates moments and times where people's future can be altered in a second. Because sometimes it creates a stirring, it creates someone to ask a question. It, it's just like, and why would you do this? Why would you operate at this level when it's not the normal way most people live? It's not the normal mode of operation. Why would we so it brings glory to his name? And God's people are called, chosen, set apart to operate in a different paradigm to the world, aren't we? We're called to live from this perspective of having this spirit, his spirit that's in us and release this into the atmosphere, into a room like this, into shopping malls, into just places where we're going because it's who we are before it's ever what we do and what we have. And, um, you know, I can't think of um, 
a person as much as probably my brother-in-law, to be honest, who has caught, in fact, it's in him, he models this extreme generosity. At times, it's almost a little bit embarrassing because he's overly generous. You know, you go, you never get to pay for a thing. He shouted Danielle and I to Italy and put us up in Italy. You play golf with him. He buys all the balls. He buys the, even buys your shirt to play in. He just models this spirit of generosity. He's awesome to hang around. <laughs> and you can't have him because he's my brother-in-law. But I think, Rob, he, he activates this kingdom principle without really fully realizing what he's doing because it not only blesses the people around him, but it actually continues to build this spirit and release this generous spirit over his own life. And that's what we are called to be as his followers because generosity is a spirit that is outworked through an action. It's a matter of condition of the person's heart before it's an action. And for most of us, it's something that actually needs to be developed. You know, you meet some people and then they just have this this grace on them to be generous. I've got another friend. I know some cool people that are quite generous actually when I think about it. I've got another good friend of mine and he just, you know, he's, he's always looking. He can't contain himself. He has to release something. Once again, it's not so much about what he does, it's because it's who he is. And um, we've, had the, we've been fortunate about that. But it's not, a, it's not an innate mode for most people, most Christians. It, it's, it's there, it needs to be developed, but it's not maybe our natural norm. And it just sort of reminded me of a joke that um, some of you may have heard. I have shared it a few years ago, but I think I'll share it again. And it's about these two Liverpool lads. And uh, I'm from Liverpool, if you, if you don't know that. And, and uh, there's these two Liverpool lads, and they meet in the pub every Saturday night. And uh, one says to the other one, he says, you know, we're good mates, aren't we? He says, yeah, yeah, we've been mates for 30 years. He said, yeah, he said, you know, he said, there, he said, if I had two houses, I hope you can understand the accent. If I had two houses, he said, I'd give you one. He said, would you? He said, yeah, that's how much I love you. He said, that's, that's pretty generous. He said, in fact, he said, if I had two Lamborghinis, he said, I'd give you one. He said, would you really? He said, two Lamborghinis, you give me a Lamborghini. I said, yeah. He said, me and you are like brothers, you know, growing up together. He said, that's amazing. He said, in fact, if I had two speedboats, I'd give you one of me boats. He says, it's not the, the, just the beer talking, is it? You, you really give me one of your speedboats? He says, yeah, I'll give you the speedboat. He said, mate. He said, you know, that's really touching my heart, he says. He says, in fact... He said, if I had a Ducati motorbike, if I had two of those, I'd give you one. He says, would you really give me a Ducati motorbike? He says, yeah, I would. I would. You're my mates. Growing up together, we're like that. Me and Thick as Thieves. And his mate stops and he thinks about it. He says, um, is that Charlie? He says, yeah. He said, what if you had two bicycles? He says, now come on, you know I've got two bicycles. And I meet plenty of people that talk a good talk. You know, you meet many of people that talk it up and I'm this and I'm that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But that talk never seems to mount to anything. It never seems to come from here out and never actually forms into an action. But the other tension or the other side of that, you flip that coin, is I also meet people who live in their principle. They come under a law or a principle of giving, but they actually don't really model a spirit of generosity either. They're just fulfilling a law. 
or an obligation or something that they feel they have to do. So they do it, but it's actually not coming from a place of a spirit of generosity. In that fact, it's more about them doing something than it is about who they are as a person. And so when they go about their lives 24-7, they miss opportunities all the time because unless something is glaringly obvious in front of them, like maybe tithing or something, or a need is presented, they miss all these opportunities to dive into these different areas because they don't have a spirit of generosity. They're just living under a principle. Does that make sense? And so it's got to go deeper than you know, just giving some thing when things arrive. It's got to be something that consumes us. It's something that's 24-7. It's something about more who we are than what we do. And really that's the same for our faith. You know, I don't do Christianity. I'm a Christian. I don't come to church. I am the very thing. It's not something you don't do church. It continues to baffle me when I hear that from senior leaders. Doing church. I just do not understand that language. And we need to change our language because language is powerful, isn't it? What you actually speak, you think you are. And I know it's so subtle, but the reality is, is the church really being the church in planet Earth to the level that God would have us? I don't believe I am, and I don't believe we are, and I don't believe the church in general is. Why? Because we say all these funny things. And actually, in a roundabout way, think we talk ourselves out of it because we, we say we come to worship. No, no. Well, you know, we don't, the worship sucked. No, no, the worship didn't suck. If the worship sucked, that means you sucked because you didn't bring an offering that was worthy to God. That's what the Bible says, you know. So we use this weird language and it's who we are. We are Christian. I'm not Christianity, I'm a Christian. It's in my blood. It's how I think. It's, it's like breathing. I don't think to breathe. I breathe. I breathe the spirit of generosity out because it's in me. It's not something I'm trying to grab hold of, is it? That's why the Bible says Jesus comes from the inside out. The river gets released. We're from the inside out. And, uh, and so my mate who uh, talked it all up with his two bikes, he got caught out in that sort of position. But come with me to Mark 12. Mark 12, verses 41. I'm going to look at this powerful illustration. And I'm going to sort of rip it apart a little bit. Mark 12. 41. And just continue to think, you know, with the measure that I use, it's the measure that will be measured back to me. Mark 12, are we there? 41. It's a story, we'll probably know it well, of the widow's might. And he sat down opposite the treasury, this is Jesus, and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. It's an interesting fact, isn't it? He looks and sees. Uh, And many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to about a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. And it's really interesting because when you look at this passage, you see two people fulfilling a principle. You see two people giving. 
You've got all these people that are giving from their surplus and they're giving into the treasury. And you have this, this widow, this woman who's also giving. But Jesus distinguishes between the two. See, it's a bit of a bummer, but he can see your heart. He can see the motive behind why we give. He can see our heart and the position of our hearts. And he decides he's going to make an object lesson out of this. You know, it's always interesting. In my Bible, whenever Jesus wants to make a point, you always hear, truly I say to you. What did we look at before? It says, who do we listen to? And he is the Lord of the universe. The King of Kings is, is about to make a statement. He's about to say, guys, you need to capture this because this is an object lesson. There's something happening here that I want you to see, I want you to understand. And in verse 44, For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she had, and all she had to live on. Here's a thought or here's a nugget that I would ask you to go away and meditate on this week. It's not the amount that is given that determines the spirit of generosity. I missed this off my PowerPoint, so I'll read this slowly if you're writing it down. It's not the amount that is given, that determines the spirit of generosity, but it's the gap between what we have and what we give which determines it. Does that make sense? Not the amount that's given that determines the spirit of generosity, but it's the gap between what we actually have and what's given and what we give. And so this woman has nothing to live on and she gives and the gap is tiny. But these other men, they have surplus. They have a surplus. They give out of their surplus, which means the gap is huge. And so who's modelling a spirit? Once again, because first and foremost, it's not about how much you give or how much you have. It's about who you are. And we're going to look at that because you, we start to see this pattern in a number of other different scriptures as well because this widow is operating out of a kingdom paradigm which we know the kingdom of God first and foremost is an internal transformation of our hearts. Before it's ever about healing a person, before it's ever about preaching the gospel, before it's about anything that's external of us, the kingdom of God is about the lordship, the rulership, the dominion, the monarchy of Jesus Christ reigning right here and from his reigning that process of change starts to occur that's why you know we we are all to be on a changing process a transition here it's so easy to to do this isn't it it's so easy to grab my bottle and do that and move its position or change where the stage is and put it over here it's another story to change or allow transition from the inside of me but you know what happens when you allow that to happen? The spirit of generosity, excuse me, starts to be released. And this widow is operating from this paradigm because it's interesting because the masses aren't. It's not just one person, it says a whole mass, a whole group of people were throwing in the surplus, but there's only one person that's giving from this narrow gap. And that actually really, if we're honest, tends to be the pattern, isn't it? Not only the pattern in the Bible, but the pattern in life. But as his followers, we are called to be moving towards her reality. 
It's not just to be a nice story. It's to actually be part of who we are becoming. And so you can actually truthfully say at some point in time, because it's a whole journey, it's a whole process of life, you know what? I'm actually like that lady. I'm actually not someone that gives for myself. The gap is quite narrow. And I'm developing this, this spirit. Because it's not just about money, although this is, a, this is a, a picture that Jesus paints here. It's about time. It's about just sitting with people. It's about your abilities. It's, it, it, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not just one area of life. And it requires the activation of faith, doesn't it? To live like this lady's living requires faith. It requires an activation. It requires an intimacy with the Father. It requires that you know who He is so you can trust Him in this level of capacity. Because as I've said, to be honest, and if we're being honest, I know I'm not where I would like to be in this picture. But let's just all imagine what would you look like as an individual if you were like this widow? What would our neighborhoods look like if we actually we, you know, reflected her, where she's at, her, her distance? What would this city look like? What would our nation look like? What would you look like? From an inside-out perspective. Do you think you'd have your Suzanne Paul glow on? Look at that person. You know, the Bible says that we are the light of the world. It's to be a reality. It's not just to be the nice, pithy statement. He's actually saying, once again, what are you listening to? You are the light of the world. See, from his perspective to you, he states it as he sees it. And so our challenge is our minds going, am I activating in that truth? What, some other times, there are three other occasions that God just sort of brought to my thinking. There's one in 1 Kings 17, where there's this widow who has a son and Elijah and it hasn't rained for, for years. And you know what? They are out of food and they're about to die. And this guy called Elijah, who's the prophet of God, the man of God comes and says, yep, I see you've got no resource but, um, and I see you're about to die and I see you've got your last loaf of bread and all that stuff but guess what, you're going to make me one before you make yourself one. Now let's put ourselves in this situation. What would, how would we respond? How would I respond? I'm like, I've got Lily and I've got Maddie and it's all I've got left. And the woman even says, you know, I'm going to bake a cake and then I'm going to go over that tree and then we're going to die. It's a pretty grim setting. And this man comes along called Elijah who actually then stands in front of you with this kingdom paradigm. And as I said before, faith must be activated and says, no, you're going to make me a cake. It's going to have raisins on it because it's a fruit cake and it's going to be warm and it's going to be beautiful. A little cup of tea. And this woman goes, mate, what a glimmer. Do you know what she does? Who can tell me what she does? She bakes him a cake first. And listen what happens. Because she has so much resource, she now doesn't know what to do with. She could have started a subway. 
Because verse 16, the bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor the jar of oil become empty. See, her gap was tiny between this paradigm and that paradigm. And she stepped out and operated in it and saw God's abundance, generosity with the measure which she sowed, the measure came in. And it's a heart position because God sees the heart of man. Hence what I talked about before, these people who have plenty giving in. He makes mention of the widow who really had nothing but had incredible measure of capacity. Amen? Where else? Let's go to Luke 7. We see the same spirit operating when the woman anoints Jesus with perfume. See, she didn't just pour out a drop. You have to actually break an alabaster jar for the contents to be released. So what does she do? She breaks it and smears it all over him. Her measure is huge. This is all she had to live on. This is about a year's, uh, year's wages. And it's released over Jesus before he's about to be killed. With the measure you have, so with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And we know this woman caught this whole, you know, Jesus, the, the level of forgiveness that Jesus had for her. But listen to this, because Jesus, once again, he makes another statement. These are powerful statements. He says in Matthew 26, 13, Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world today at the rock in 2011, what this woman did 2,000 years ago, I'm about to tell you, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Isn't that phenomenal? You see, when this kingdom paradigm is modelled, it gets Jesus' attention. He stops and goes, you know, it's time for an object lesson. Here's a heart, here's a level of generosity that's kingdom, that's like me. And he's fascinated with it. You know, the man of faith in, in uh, Matthew 8, he stops, it's time for an object lesson. He's trying to move us from this place to this place. And he's so gracious, isn't it? I don't know about you, but at times I needed a backhand to get me going. But it's a gentle hand of God. It's always the gentle hand because it always comes from love and encouragement and speaking life. Come on, let's go. I wouldn't be that gracious with myself. But he is. But what I find fascinating when you read on is how they respond. Have you ever stopped and thought about this? How the disciples respond. It's terrible. It's flippin' horrible. Here she is, she's anointing the king who's about to go and die for the world and she pours all this stuff, this beautiful you know, um, perfume that smells gorgeous and she's pouring out her heart, she's pouring out her, her generosity and they go, why this waste? I mean, who's missing the point here big time? It's not just little, is it? It's like, the boo. Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, when you read that, it sort of makes the disciples out to sound like good guys. Oh, man, they're so generous. They, we're going to give this to the poor. No. No, that wasn't their measure at all. The fact is, if they were going to do that, if, and this is this whole thing, you know, you, so I always find it interesting when you meet some people that have all these grandiose planned schemes, but when you ask them if they want to actually put it into action, it's like, no. 
I just thought I'd come and tell you about it. Oh, right, okay. So we're not going to step out and model it. No, no, I just thought I'd come and tell you about it. This is what the disciples, if they really cared for the poor, they would have been doing this before this time. So it's, this, this, it's, it's a smear, it's, it's, it's like a blanking, it's like, oh my goodness, we've just been presented, someone has come in front of us who's modelling this paradigm that actually threatens us. So guys, we better get into action, we better say something really smart that's going to make us look like we've got it all together. I think Jesus was one step ahead of them. He said, I put here, they're trying to defend their position because whenever someone steps up who models the spirit of generosity, this kingdom heart paradigm, those who aren't modeling it are threatened by it because it highlights the gap that exists between those who model it and those who don't. The third time is in John 6. This little boy comes. A little boy. I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's eight years old. And mum's given him some fish and some bread for lunch. They find themselves in a place because they're following Christ and Christ is doing these amazing things in the middle of nowhere. Just imagine you're in, you're in Waiuru, you're in the middle of the, um, what's it called? Thank you, the desert road. You're stuck there on a hill. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to find food. There's all these people that need feeding. You're an eight-year-old boy. I don't know about you guys, but my five-year-old and my two-year-old, we're trying to teach them generosity. We're trying to teach them to share. We're trying to teach them to give of their things, yeah? And it works at times, and at other times it's a bit interesting, especially with Lily. (laughs) And here's this little boy. And you know what? There's these 15,000 people that need feeding. And he's got his lunch. And he's like going... They're asking for food, and I've got some, but I'm looking at the people, and all, that means I might not get any, and it's all mum gave me. What am I going to do? And he comes with his loaves of bread and his fish, and he places it at the feet of the one who can multiply it. And as we know, 15,000 people get fed. Why? Because one eight-year-old boy who activates faith, who's got a measure the size of a mountain, comes and goes, you can do this, Rolly, you can use this, and here you go. And masses get fed. That's beautiful, isn't it? That is kingdom heart paradigm being modelled of a generous spirit. So how do we develop the spirit of generosity. And it's not rocket science. In fact, it's quite an easy answer. And the answer is this, obedience to God's absolute truth. You know when he says, what voice are you listening to? There is only one voice to listen to. It's the voice of absolute truth. And next Sunday, part of this whole thing of generosity, I'm going to tackle uh, the topic that we all love, which is tithing. Morning and night, I'm going to speak to it. We really haven't really spoken to tithing in a sense in this house for years. And I just feel led by the Holy Spirit to start bringing a correct paradigm on tithing because of this one area that there is so much division or misunderstanding. It's this area. It's the most area that people try and somehow argue out of. 
I mean, if you want to get someone studying the scriptures, talk about tithing. And they're in. They pull it all out. Well, I got this, I got this, I got this. You try getting to talk about love, oh, what's that? Evangelism, it's, what was that? Oh, but money. And so we need to talk about money, don't we? We need to bring a kingdom perspective because it's his money. And he gives you, he stewards you, his money. And so once again, it's about absolute truth. What voice do you listen to? What determines your reality? What determines our biblical worldview? Not just on, you know, on apologetics, but in every area. And um, listen to what Luke 7 says, Luke seven sixteen. So Jesus answered them and said, My teaching is not mine. When I'm out and about with people, I'm sharing truth. I use this a lot. I say, you're not hearing Greg Simner's opinion. It's not my thought or my theory. What I am bringing to you is the voice, it's the word, it's the truth of the almighty being. You watch people slightly shift when you say that. Oh, and Jesus is saying, yeah, my teaching is not mine, but it's his, my father who sent me. And this is what's interesting. If anyone, if anyone, doesn't matter what color you are, what country you're from, what background, what level of intelligence you are, if anyone is willing, once again, we need to activate faith, don't we? If anyone is willing, it requires a choice. I'm just going to fall on your lap. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. And so really, if you want to start, if we want to start developing, and I believe we, 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 we're well on the way with this house, but a greater measure of the spirit of generosity then it's about being obedient to his absolute truth. It's not rocket science. It's just a death to our will over his. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is the thing, this is the greatest challenge for the church. It's the greatest challenge. It's very simple, but it's the greatest challenge. It's the greatest challenge for me, anyway, I know that. He's saying, this has come from my father. The almighty authority, it's from my Father. And if you do it, you'll see some things happen. Um, Luke 8, 49. And I'll just quickly read this to you guys. Like it, Luke 8, 49. I'm going to read it right fast because it's quite a, uh, quite a bit. Okay, so there's this man, Jairus, who, who has a, a daughter and he comes to Christ because... His daughter's about to die. And he says, can you come? Can you come and help her? Okay. So verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. Be careful who you listen to. Start imagining what's happening here. He's saying she's going to live. Someone comes, the voice of the world, the lack of faith, the person lack of faith, the person whose measure is, is, knows, don't worry about it, she's gone, she's died, it's 
over. What does Jesus say? I reckon he looks Jara square in the eyes and says, it's not. She's alive. If you believe, if you activate faith. You see, once again, there's these two paradigms happening. Be careful what voice you listen to. Well-meaning people can be the wrong voice. Well-meaning Christians can be the wrong voice. It's tapping into the voice of God. And how do you do that? Well, it's right here for you. Yeah? Very quiet. Let's go on. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James. Why do you think he did that? You ever thought about that? You don't want disbelief in this room, unbelief in this room. You say, I'm taking my three buddies and I'm taking mum and dad because I can see this. And we've got to be careful who we hang out with because once again, the voices will, be, will shape us. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, now here's the voice of God again, stop weeping for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. It's interesting, isn't it? Mocking spirit comes. Who are we going to believe? So in this whole area of generosity and being obedient and living in this vacuum this and, and, and moving and allowing the Spirit to come forth. You do it by being obedient to Him. No other way. And so I want to give you just three quick areas. Number one is the giving of your time. If you want to develop this spirit of generosity that's going to continue to grow, give away your time. Time is the greatest commodity today. People say, I'm too busy. I don't have the time. We actually all have the time because we make the time with what we value. If you value something, you will make the time to make it happen. Danny and I live, as you probably know, incredibly busy lives. We've got two girls. We're on this. We've got this. Danny works. She heads up the hospitality ministry here. She works full time. We've got children. You know, it's just... And... A week ago, I said to Madeline, I said, Natty, I said, when I come back from India, I said, we're going to go on a date. We're going to go out. And she's like, oh, cool. And so we got back and we set that, that date up. It was quite funny because she was telling everybody that um, she's taking Daddy on a date, but Daddy's paying and Daddy's driving. I said, yeah, just like your mother. <laughs> Haven't quite figured this one out yet, but... Uh, She's valuable to me. So in all my busy schedule and speaking at fight and here and all these meetings, you know what? She's valuable to me. So I'm going to make the time to sit with her, and listen to her and dialogue with my daughter. Guys, you cannot, you cannot get this time back. Invest into your marriage. Invest into your kids. Spend the time. And build life into your family, into your wives and your children. Second area is serve God and others. How do you develop 
the Spirit. You serve God and you serve others. Listen to Proverbs 11.25. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Once again, it's this back-to-front paradigm. God always operates back-to-front than us. But he who refreshes others will be refreshed. And the third area, I said, is the giving of our finances through tithes and offerings. And I just want you to think about this. This is sort of a little appetizer for next week. But God's kingdom is one of incredible affluence. Incredible affluence. Incredible abundance. And God chooses to use man to release that affluence, that abundance, into the world. He stewards us. He asks, would you steward my affluence? But affluence can be used in two ways, through man. We can use our affluence to insulate ourselves, protect ourselves, can't we? I'm looking after my patch, like the little boy. He could have used his his affluence, because he had affluence when no one had anything, and gone, I'm protecting this, I'm going to insulate it. It's all I've got. So we can use our affluence, which is his affluence, to insulate ourselves, or, so to insulate ourselves, or we use it to influence others. And our tithe and offerings are God's given principles that stop us going into insulation and challenges, sorry, channels us towards influence. I'm just going to say this again. We can use our affluence to insulate ourselves or we use it to influence others. And our tithe and offerings are the God-given principles that stop us going into insulation and channels us towards influence. So that's just something to whip your appetite for next week. Can I encourage you to come? <laughs> Morning and night. Come with a clear mind. Don't come with your, you know, your Wikipedia. Just come with an open heart to hear. Because I said before, there are so many, you know, We've got so many mindsets, and this is how the enemy works. And I've said this before, but the, the fights of the mind, isn't it? The battlefield is right here. And we have to be defined by this. And um, so just come with an open heart anyway. But what have we said today? We'll just get the, the, the team up, and um, we're going to finish on a big song. But this is what I've said. Number one, generosity is a spirit that is outworked through an action. Number two, it's not the amount that is given that determines the spirit of generosity, but it's the gap between what we have and what we give which determines the continued growth of it and the birth of it. And the third thing is obedience to God's word, his truth, is the way to develop the spirit of generosity. Be defined by him. And um, if you don't, all you're doing is shortchanging yourself. That's the reality, isn't it? Judas shortchanged himself well before he shortchanged Jesus because that was the plan. 
So who missed out? And that's what I love about God. It's like he doesn't create any obstacles for sons to enter into the fullness of their inheritance. And sons are male and female. We talked about this at fight. He wants authentic followers. Not fake ones, not expired ones, but authentic real ones. So Father, today I thank you for what you've done before I spoke. I thank you for the changes that are happening. I thank you for the power that came to to heal, Lord. And I thank you that you want to. You're constantly uh, transforming, reforming, forming us into your image, uh, Lord, with your truth, by your truth. You never will violate our will, but you will try and influence it for our greatness, for our goodness. And Lord, I pray that what we've heard today, which is just your truth, we would take it, we would meditate on it, we would chew on it, we would discuss it in our, in our life groups, in our small groups. If we're not in one, we'd really think about getting in one and allowing this, this truth, your word, to start to define us at a greater level, a rapid knot, because your kingdom is advancing and it says that violent men and women take hold of it and it's an internal thing. And so, God, I thank you for life. I thank you for the, the life that your spirit has as we, as we edify your name right now, God. I pray uh, that we would praise you with everything we have. Lord, we would start today and enlarge our measure with the measure we bring. It's the measure we receive. So, Father, as we worship you today, right now, let's bring a big measure before him and just worship him with all your heart.